Starks Lounge, a podcast about business, entrepreneurship, and franchising. I'm your host, Steve Tallis, and I'm the co-founder of Starks Barber Company, one of Canada's fastest growing franchise systems. Starks is an upscale and modern take on the traditional barbershop, offering men the ultimate haircut experience. One of the things that makes our stores unique is our lounge, a place where customers can relax and socialize before their haircut. My goal in this series is to talk to my guests candidly, like we're hanging out in the Starks Lounge. I want to give listeners insight into entrepreneurship and business ownership and a behind-the-scenes look at what our company is all about. I'll be talking with franchisees within our system, as well as experts and thought leaders in the franchise industry. I really hope you enjoy this series, and please subscribe if you do. Thanks for listening. Today in the Starks Lounge, I have Juliet Schmerler. Juliet started in the web and digital marketing industry when it was in its infancy in 1999. She has followed the ever-changing landscape of the marketing world ever since. She's the founder and creative director of Spark Tank Franchise Marketing, where she specializes in helping franchisors attract new franchisees and also creating local marketing programs for their individual locations. In her role as creative director, she's had the opportunity to spearhead hundreds of digital marketing, web, and lead nurturing campaigns with her talented team of former Facebook, and Google executives. The team at Spark Tank understands the world of digital marketing and their concentrated focus in the franchise space gives them an edge when working with franchisors and local businesses. If you're interested in franchising or just small business marketing in general, Juliet is a wealth of knowledge and I'm very excited to have her with us today. Juliet, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to, to meet with you. You're definitely one of our favorite clients. Well, that's certainly a feather in my cap, um, and I can say that we really like working with you guys as well, and, and I've learned a lot um, in our time working with you guys. I wanted to start the, uh, kick off the conversation with you know some simple stuff that matters a lot to getting a baseline as, as we move deeper into things, which is the difference between social media and search marketing. There's two things that we're really doing online these days, um, a, a lot of, which is spending time on social media. We see a lot of ads, but we're not as annoyed with them as we used to be. In fact, we welcome them because they're very topical and very targeted and um, they weave nicely into our lives. And then obviously when we're searching for things, um, the goal is is to find what we're looking for. And, and Google does a good job of that, not only with the algorithms and, and how the search engine is, is built in and of itself, but also with the advertisements and typically people that are, you know, aggressively bidding on these uh, keywords have a, a really relevant message to send. Um, and so I wanted to get a quick baseline there and understand what the difference between social and, and search is. So if you can explain that, that would be great to, to kick us off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it, they're both, they're quite different in, in terms of um, what you are, where, where the client is or your customer is in the sales funnel or sales journey. So when you think about, let's say, you know, you, you, you're a small business and you want to, you're trying to get new customers in your door. And you think about Google or search, like we, we actually do search campaigns on Google. We also sometimes use Bing and we use a couple other, you know, channels, but Google's obviously the biggest player. Um, there's people are kind of looking for a solution. So they're going to Google, they're thinking, I, I want, you know, a haircut, for example, um, who should I go to? And so um, the advantage there is that there's a high intention of, of purchasing at that point. So 
that's one of the beauties of advertising on a channel like Google, because you've got people who are really looking to buy. Um, the disadvantage with Google, of course, is that, you know, all the other, all your competitors are also trying to get on there. So when somebody searches for, say, barbershop, they, they may see other barbershops or they may see other competitors. So you have to spend a little more to kind of, you know, be up there at the top and um, you're, you're, there's a little more competition in general, depending on what market you're in. There's some markets where there isn't much competition. It really depends. Um, something like Facebook or Instagram or any, you know, any, pretty much any social media channel, the difference there is you're going and you're saying, hey, I'm going to look for people who I think would be interested in my product or service. And I'm going to kind of suggest to them that they might want to buy my product or service. So for example, you might say, like in your case, you might say, um, you know, we're looking for men who live in a, a, you know, tight geographic area around one of our locations um, and, or work in one of our, you know, in in an area close by. And we're going to say to them, Hey, um, we have a, you know, we have a great service. Maybe you're going to offer them a little promotion where they get a little discount or just, you know, tell them about one of your great options that you guys offer and kind of say, Hey, why don't you book an appointment? So it's more just sort of finding the person who is exactly your target market and kind of repeatedly suggesting to them, maybe you should try us out. Um, And, and so they, and that, and the thing with that is that, you know, there probably aren't, a bunch of other competitors on, you know, Facebook doing that exactly at that time and hitting those people exactly necessarily. So you have a little bit, uh, you stand out a little bit more and it generally is a little bit cheaper to advertise on those types of channels versus, you know, Google, which of course is sort of, you know, there's a lot of people trying to get eyeballs on there. So that's kind of the difference. And, and we find that they both channels can work really well. And we look at, you know, some, some clients will be like, you know what, search is really the one for you. And sometimes it's, it's more social and sometimes it's both. So it just depends on their goals and their, and their budget and that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's, it's great talking about what, what is the objective and then reverse engineering from there. But sometimes I think people, um, don't necessarily think all the way around the objective or I know we were having a conversation offline the other day and I was saying to you that the thing that I really do like about social media marketing is that you can drill everything down to conversions and what your actual goals are but at the same time you need to pay attention to how much brand awareness um, you're getting from the campaign that you're running so you might have gotten x conversions but the amount of impressions and if you're using video which we're all using a lot of these days um you know they have metrics like through plays and so you can see that a lot of people are seeing your content and if it's relevant it's educational about your brand your customer experience what have you then they're just they're getting to know you and um you know there's a lot of value in that too so that's what always kind of nudges me a little bit in the direction of social over over search but i wanted to talk about small business marketing and that's something that you guys specialize in and um, something that our listeners are obviously really interested in which is you know possibly divesting out of their corporate careers or or, or another career and getting into small business um, and marketing is, is is a fun thing to think about but you know it's also something to learn about in your early days and and so i think we can start with the process and and if you can explain what is the process that you take people through when um you're starting a campaign with them and you're you're building and, and creating objectives and, and a campaign for for a small business or an in individual franchise unit yeah so when we do a program um 
a lot of times we'll start off by kind of working with the franchisor to develop a program for their franchisees. Um, and then we, you know, we'll sometimes also work with the franchisee to kind of get into what they're looking for in their particular market and that kind of thing. But um, the first step is really we do when, when someone comes to us and is interested in developing a local marketing program for their franchisees, we'll do a strategy call. And the strategy call is to really understand uh, things like what are the goals of your campaign? Are you trying to you know, get a booking for an appointment? Are you trying to sell something? Are you trying to get a phone call? Like what, what are we trying to achieve um, in the campaign? Um, how many locations do you have? What kind of a budget do you think your franchisees would be comfortable with? Um, sometimes there's, there's a little bit of sharing of costs with the franchisor and the franchisee. So talking about what sort of budget they could work with. Um, other things like, you know, what kind of branding and creative assets do you have that can, we can work with? Like you mentioned, video is something we, we've been using more and more because it's very effective. So do you have any little video clips we can put together and create a nice little ad or, um, you know, what your logo, et cetera. Um, and then what we do is we develop what we call kind of a quick quote. And that is like a, it's a little proposal that's really customized for you. So we go back from all the questions you've answered in your strategy session and we say, okay, here's kind of what we are recommending for you. Here's kind of option ABC. Um, and some of that is just um, our ideas on, on what we think would work for you. And some of it is actually looking at your competition. So we actually will go in and do things like look at um, what would be an average cost per click? So in other words, how much would it cost if you were say advertising on Google um, to, to get clicks in your industry, in your geographic area or in the geographic areas of your franchisees that you're wanting to promote? And then kind of giving you some sort of predictions around um, what do we, how many conversions do we think we could get? So conversions in the marketing world, what that means is, is how many times to say, for example, somebody fill out your form or make a phone call or whatever that goal was. So, so the, yeah, the quote is kind of a, a strategy of here's what we think we should do for you. And that's also trying to give you some concrete numbers because it's always nice for a franchisee to kind of go, okay, if I spend a thousand bucks, um, what, what's my ROI on that? How many people are going to actually book something or how many people are going to give us a call and maybe how many of those people are going to actually become customers. So that's just nice to have those numbers. Um, and then, of course, once we decide on what program we want to do, we build out the campaign, we develop the creative, we do the keyword research, we do all the technical setup, um, and then we launch the campaign. And then we're obviously con continuously monitoring it, tweaking it, making it better, um, you know, seeing what what's working, what's not, and then just hope, you know, the idea is to continuously get your numbers better and better, um, and that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and I think it's, important and, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a bit when we're, when we're thinking about um, the, the technical aspect and the execution aspect, I, I guess I should say, um, which is obviously, of course, going to impact the ultimate ROI. Um, and, and you guys have that expertise and, and, and we'll get into like, you know, how social media particularly um, has empowered people to to do their own marketing, but but it's not it's not really as easy as as people think. Um, so, what what channels do you typically do local advertising on? We're talking about local campaigns here, um, and and I know you guys do a lot of really cool stuff. So for so I have to give a shout out for me on the you know we work together um, in addition to the work you do with our franchisees on franchise recruitment marketing because I'm always out there looking for the best people and 
you know, based on like the, the profiling and everything that, that we looked at and, you know, Starks is definitely in the luxury market and we've had success selling franchises to some of our customers and, and most of them are very affluent and educated and um, white collar for lack of a better term. So we leveraged a program on LinkedIn um, that, that we use that helps um, connect me with all kinds of prospects who are interested in entrepreneurship. It's powered by AI. It, 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 it kind of works in tandem with me on the account and I pick it, pick up and conversations and, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, very often um, calls get booked right into my calendar. And uh, while I'm, you know, going on about my day, um, this marketing program is working on behalf of me. So I, 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 I did want to give a shout out there and, and let the audience know that, you know, you guys are, are using a, a lot of a lot of different programs, um, a lot of different channels. But typically when you're doing local advertising, you know, what are you using? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely like what you were mentioning about LinkedIn, you know, there are some situations when we're doing local marketing where we'll recommend LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is great for more of a business to business type of um, product or, or service. So uh, let's say a, a franchise is doing like disaster remediation, you know, for businesses, you know, that kind of thing. It's a high ticket, big ticket. They tend to kind of get more working with more business clients. LinkedIn can be great for that. But generally speaking, um, most of the campaigns we do for franchises are on Facebook, um, Facebook and Instagram. Like, as you mentioned, they're the same company and Instagram will, will tap into if it's a bit of a younger audience. So for example, we did a, a program um, for A&W where they were really trying to tap into millennials, which is a great audience, um, you know, and, and we, we kind of, um, we used Instagram a little more for that kind of thing. Um, and then, yeah, definitely search uh, Google. Um, like I was mentioning, we also sometimes will use Bing. Bing is kind of neat because it's another search tool that will show up on certain browsers um, where Google won't. And it's a lot less expensive. Of course, smaller audience going to Bing, but it's kind of an area that a lot of, a lot of people think about. Um, it's a Microsoft product and, and there's opportunities to advertise there in some cases. So yeah, mostly we'd, I'd say Facebook, Instagram, um, and search channels, but occasionally we will use LinkedIn as well. Julia, the, interesting that you bring this up actually about A&W and such. And we, you know, I started thinking about, as you were talking, the, the whole concept of knowing your customer and, um, yeah, in our brand guidelines, which are important, obviously we're a franchise network. And so the people that are running stores are licensed to use our brand in a specific territory. And so um, we really focus on those and make sure that they adhere to those. And there's a section in there that talks about the target audience and we specifically highlight millennials. And that's something that we updated recently because Millennials are kind of age 25 to 40 now, and they're really in that category where, you know, we need to focus on them for the next 10, 15 years for sure. And they're different than, you know, the Gen Xers and, and baby boomers, especially. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, we, we get all categories. But if we're focusing on them, what we, what we learned through research was that having experiences are more important to them than having you know, material items like the latest gadgets or expensive clothing, they're not into like wealth and authority and tradition and things like that. Um, they're more into uh, happiness and mental wellness. And those are kind of the attributes of success to them. And so 
you know, understanding them is really important and it helps us craft the right message uh, to hit them with. And, and, and so I think that's really important for uh, business owners when they're thinking about marketing. And I just actually wanted you to touch on that quickly and talk about, you know, the importance of like, know your customer and, and, and know what message to send. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to like gen- generally like targeting, yeah, it definitely is one of the big things that we try to understand right off the bat is who is your persona or target market. Um, and, and you know, what is, what are their pain points and what makes them tick and, you know, why would they be interested in what you have to offer? Um, and when it comes to millennials, um, first of all, you know, if you're going to do advertising to millennials, um, you know, basic rule, use photography and, and people in your, in your ads that, show millennials, you know, uh, they people, I mean, that's not just true for millennials. That's true for anybody you're targeting. People want to see themselves in your ads. So, um, you know, they want to be able to kind of relate to the person um, in the advertising. So that's one thing. And then, yeah, with millennials, sometimes the advertising is, you know, it's more about something more meaningful, but um, like, you, you know, you might have a tagline about doing something to help the planet. Let's just throw that out there. Um, but you're, you're, you're selling, you're still sort of selling that service, um, you know, but your brand is showing that you care about something else and they want to be part of that. So that's the kind of thing that's a little different with millennials. And and, I mean, I think this is true for a lot of audiences, but it, it, people connect with a brand when there's something that, you know, means a lot to them. I was, I was just watching the news this morning and there was this, uh, there was a story about this woman who in, in, in London, uh, was going down during COVID and she decided to start like picking up garbage and creating greeting cards out of this and just like recycling and doing something good for the planet. And she's got this huge, huge following up there. She's selling like 10,000 cards a month or something, but you know, why is that? Because she's doing something. It's a great story behind it. There's something meaningful. It's environmental. Um, so people like that and they, they want to be part of that. And that's definitely very true for millennials as well. Hmm. Yeah, it brings to memory a campaign that um, Scene Points. So I, I guess uh, uh, Scotiabank, Cineplex, their their partnership. Um, they they ran a campaign before COVID, and it was like um, you know how they have all these like National Siblings Day and et cetera, and they they created National No Excuses Day, and it was basically it was targeted at millennials, and it was basically like a lot of millennials would not go to the movies on Friday night because they had a really long work week and they would make an excuse. I'm tired. I don't feel right. I think I'm just going to watch Netflix and, you know, order some food. And um, it was just this whole campaign leading up to that day, but pumping this message out saying, you know, park that attitude this weekend and, you know, park your excuses and get out with your friends. And, so, so obviously they understood what millennials were going through and how they felt like they were, you know, being overworked and they were trying to reinforce the importance of friendship, which millennials like really believe in as well. And so they really understood the audience. And then what a great message to send if you want people to go to the movies, right? So I think that was, that was a really successful campaign and, and that definitely came to mind as, as you were speaking there. Um, and good segue into... Um, talking about what the um, what campaigns are are the most effective, and where do you typically have the most success? Um, 
I would say that the campaigns that we've had a lot of success with, and I think you can probably attest to this, is um, when there's a, a promotion and a time limited promotion. So, um, for example, when you're, you know, you and I worked on a campaign together where we were offering, you know, 50% off a haircut. Um, of course, you don't want to do that forever because you don't want to be like, sorry to say this, but you don't want to be like the brick where it's every commercial is like discounts and 50% off and every day it's a, another discount. So you don't yeah, think there's it's always a sale going. <laughs> yeah, well, it's New Year's and then it's the new year. Yeah. I always laugh when I see the commercials from the brick because I'm, I'm just like, it's always like a, the guy with the deep voice kind of going, act now 50% off this and you know last minute sale or boxing day sale and I'm like every commercial says the same thing I don't feel like I'm in a rush to go to the brick you know <laughs> so you don't want to do that um but you want to kind of have something like I, I want I, what I guess to answer your question like what promotions work well yeah we've definitely you know people like free people like discounts um and when you you know, we've had a few clients who do grand opening um, promotions like we've done with you as well, um, where, you know, just to kind of get a lot of traffic in the door for a new franchisee, they'll do something like a big promotion at 50% off, maybe a free something for a day. Um, and what's nice about that is that you you kind of build up a bit of a client base. Um, and so, yeah, that sort of thing always, you know, people like that kind of thing. Again, you want to make it sort of time limited. So there's some scarcity that they feel like they got to you know, actually take action. Um, but that type of thing definitely works super well. Yeah, I think it goes back to what's the objective and being cognizant of, of your brand and how you want it positioned. And so if you are doing something that's discounted or free, making sure that if you're in the example of Starks, you're time limiting it, you're, you're tying it to something like a grand opening and so there's meaning behind it hey come check us out we'd love to meet you come try the experience tell your friends about it etc but it's not something that you want folk you know floating out there indefinitely because it can kind of devalue your brand and then you know if you, you could be in an entirely different market and be a budget brand and want to permeate certain messages where you're just constantly discounting to constantly incentivize people um, to choose you because they're conscious mind might be a lot around um, when they select who they're going to do business with price. And so you just keep winning on price and keep generating the business and doing it in a, in a strategic and tactful way. So I guess it just depends on what you're looking for. Yeah, well, for sure. And, and then there's, and, and there's other, you know, things that can work really well. Cause like I said, you, you like we were talking about, you don't want to do that forever, but um, and, and some of it's kind of just building brand awareness, like you were talking about before, like maybe you share a video about um, a customer experience and that makes them really reminds them, oh, yeah, I really wanted to try that place, you know. So it's, it's kind of a combination of getting people in the door, but also building your brand. Yeah. And I think like for starts, the example is like we're working on you know and it's it's difficult with covid because there's certain stages that we've been in in ontario where we can't even have you know multiple people in a room together or enough people in a room but our our grand grandiose plan for creating content over the next little while as we come out of it is really showcasing the experience and letting people know that it's more than just a haircut that we've turned an errand into an experience um and certainly coming out of covid that it's just like another thing 
that you can do outside of the house. I don't, I don't think people are sick of their homes. Some are for sure, but you know, maybe they found new things. Maybe they put a pool in or what have you. It's not like they're just dying to not be at home at all times, but it's like, you know, probably an easy time in the next little while to give people any reason to go out and do something. And, and again, it's like really letting people know that we're not an errand and that we're an experience and you're going to have a good time when you're on Starks. Um, let's talk about ROI, um, campaign management, stuff like that. So, you know, some of the metrics that you guys measure, some of the tools that you use to see how successful a campaign is, you know, you'll do things like run multiple ad sets and watch them and, um, you know, uh, start going with whatever's working best. You guys have like a really modular on the fly approach to make sure that, you know, if you're running a one month campaign with a specific um, uh, objective, I've seen it firsthand where like it really ramps up as the month goes on. And, and like by the last week and a half, two weeks, like, you know, it's, it's really humming things like retargeting. And, and again, this kind of, you know, will be a good segue into like the difference between like hiring an expert and trying to do your own thing, but talk about those tools and those metrics and stuff and, and what you guys are doing behind the scenes when the ads are running. Yeah, for sure. You know, looking at your numbers is, is a really important part of doing digital advertising. And it's one of the reasons I like digital advertising because, you know, there's, there's real concrete data behind it and it's very easy to get that data versus other forms of marketing where, you know, you're hoping it kind of gets out there and it's a little harder to measure, but with, with digital, you can really, you can really get those numbers. So the kinds of things that we look at are, you know, you know, when we put an ad out, whether it's on social media or, you know, advertising on Google is like, you want to kind of see, uh, there's a few things that you can look at. So traffic will tell you kind of how many people are seeing your ad and how many people are, um, you know, getting, getting hit by your ad, but then things like, um, how many people click on your ad. So what that shows is, okay, well, there's enough interest and this ad is interesting enough that somebody's clicking and wanting to go and learn more kind of thing. So that's important to, to understand that there's actually, these ads are compelling enough to get people to act. Um, and then the big thing, of course, is, you know, what, again, that term conversions, which really what that means is that how many people take the action that you want them to take in the end. So, the traffic and 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 the and the and the clicks is part of that to get them to go and then you know there's a percentage that will actually do the action. So whether again it's filling out a form, uh, you know, phoning. Um, there's different things that we kind of try to do, but basically the conversion is the number that we're ultimately looking at because that's when somebody has reached out. And then of course the cost for conversion is another one. So. Um, you know, if we're, if we're getting, um, you know, five leads, but, and it only, they only cost us 20 bucks each. Great. It wasn't a very, you know, say this client has a smaller budget and it was 20 bucks for a lead. That's usually quite a good number. Um, if, if, if we're going, oh, wow, it's, it's costing $150 to cut, to get a, a person to actually convert. Maybe we want to see what can we do to make that less expensive. So there's a lot of different things that we kind of look at and they all kind of play into one each other, you know, in terms of, you know, getting those numbers up to get those people to act and then seeing how much that, how much it costs to actually get those people to act and how can we increase that, increase the numbers of people acting. So the number of conversions and decreasing the cost of that conversion. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned at the beginning why you love digital marketing and you guys are a digital marketing and advertising agency. And I, I think that digital is the be all and end all of everything, especially moving out of COVID. You know, I think that digital is dematerializing things everywhere. Like we don't, we don't go to the bank anymore unless we have to, if we can do it on the app or online, we do it. You know, we don't, we don't buy a map book anymore. We get a map online for free. It's called Google maps and it'll talk to you and give you directions. And so as we continue to see this dematerializing of everything around us and being kind of put into digital form, I, I just think people need to think like that from a marketing standpoint and understand that, you know, you are going to get, your word out in a digital way, like in the best possible way, like they're really going to be able to learn about, you know, what goes on in your business or the service you provide, the experience you provide, you know, you can tell someone, you know, almost, they can almost feel what your food tastes like if you do it in the right way. So I, I just think it's so important for everyone to embrace all forms of digital marketing and aspire to it. Um, what campaigns get the best results and which ones are the most challenging? That's that's a question that I think a lot of people would would want the answer to. Yeah. So in terms of best results, um, kind of going back a little to what we were talking about before, like promotions, um, discounts, limited time kind of stuff. You know, the numbers are generally quite good on that. Um, as far as most challenging, um, I think the higher ticket items tend to be more challenging. It just kind of makes sense that if, if you're asking for somebody to spend a lot more money um, to commit a larger budget, you know, you're not, it's not as easy to sell. Right. So um, for example, um, we have a client who uh, is a franchise that does daycare and preschool programs. So, you know, this is a parent deciding to, um, send their child to a daycare that could cost them 800 or more per month. It's also their child, which is, you know, emotional. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder to get those people to, you know, to get a, a million people kind of, you know, signing up for that right off the bat. So you have to do things to build trust a little more with larger ticket items. So for example, instead of just saying, Hey, book an appointment, like we might do with, with you, uh, we might say, download um, a video about uh, that shows parents talking about their experience with this daycare franchise. Um, and then that kind of gets them closer to going, hmm, these parents are all saying this is great. Maybe I should, you know, do this. And so then we might retarget those people. So maybe we see that they've gone to the website, they've watched the video, but they didn't fill out the form. Let's send them another ad with something to build their trust again. So it's definitely, we can definitely get results with clients like that. It's just, there's a little more work, but at the same time, when they do get a sale, it's a big ticket sale for them too. So a little more effort, but more reward for the client as well. Yeah. Great example there of the daycare. You know, I think it's really, it makes me think about tone and and how important it is to get the right message and the right tone. And you know, and, and for uh, daycare, obviously, like you're talking to people about entrusting that you with their most prized possession, which is their children. And so anytime I think you're sending a message to children or about children, it needs to be nurturing and caring and like PG rated versus maybe like something like a nightclub where the message is more adult rated and it's all about excitement and you don't care about like the whole nurturing element and maybe even something that's PG rated doesn't serve you very well. And, you know, so I think emerging brands really need to focus on their tone. And um, in a lot of cases, what 
what they're doing is, is trying to separate themselves or differentiate themselves from the legacy brands. You know, they're trying to be a disruptor. They're trying to gain attention. Um, and I think that's really important. And then obviously for you guys working in um, franchise marketing, franchise systems are distributed networks. So there could be franchisees all over the country. And, you know, but at the end of the day, they're depending on the same thing, which is a consistent message that reflects the, the right kind of tone and, and the right personality that, um, that, that everybody wants the brand to have. So, um, you know, how do you make sure that you're aligned with a brand? How do you consult with them on their tone? How do you maybe even refine it with them? Um, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's definitely very important. And it's kind of all part of your brand image, right? So um, I personally really love it when there's a brand where there's something that really differentiates them. They don't sort of sound like, you know, everybody else, right? You don't want to kind of just sound like go the safe route of sounding, you know, like everybody else out there. Um, so like a great example of, of a client, um, when I think about tone is uh, we have this client Foxy Box, um, and they do waxing. And, you know, the owner, she's just kind of a badass chick, you know, she's, she's like, she's just, she's like a strong woman. She's like, you know, got tattoos and she's just kind of a cool chick and her brand really reflects her. So, you know, she uses a lot of language like, you know, Hey babe, and you're, you know, badass boss and all this stuff. And, 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 you know, it's actually super fun doing her advertising because the language is just like, really fun and it really reflects this kind of like like you know she 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 likes that image she's not trying to be all spa like and quiet and serene she's just like you know badass kind of thing and so and I think that really works super well for her and they also do they have fantastic photography the models are all different shapes and sizes they are they're kind of you know a little edgier looking um so and that I definitely think it's super important to have um, an image and it, you know, everybody's image is different. You know, um, in your case, you're going for kind of a, like a, a higher, higher end client. Um, you're kind of built, giving these people a really great experience. Um, maybe they were the professionals. So stick with, you know, who you are trying to reach out to and create a persona for yourself and, and don't try to kind of make it all, you know, whitewash it for, for the masses. That's kind of what I, what I think in terms of, you know, messaging. Great insight. And actually something really funny happened while you were talking, my phone buzzed and I just looked down at it and it was a promotional text. And I just quickly swiped to open it because it just reminded me of what we were talking about earlier. And it was the friends and family event. And then when you scroll up, you can see all these text messages that it's sending me the scratch and save event, the this, the that. And um, it's, it's just funny how um, some brands will just bombard you with those messages. But hey, like if, if that's something that's worked for them over time and uh, they're seeing ROI, they're obviously continuing to do it for a reason. And again, when people are competing or uh, making decisions, I think solely on price, it's important for them to know, you know, constantly who has the best price out there and to be well informed about price. And so um, I think that, you know, for, for a longstanding incumbent brand, which this one that I won't mention is, um, that message might work. But then if you're trying to disrupt that brand, you got to be really creative and you got to make sure that your message kind of stands out and it doesn't get drowned out. And speaking of creativity, um, I want to talk a little bit about the right brain and left brain um, in your uh, field and, and certainly in your agency, um, you have 
kind of two types of people. And so um, if we go back to like the Mad Men days, it was like mostly in, in advertising and marketing agencies, like a lot of right brain people, right? Because you just had to kind of think of what the, the message was going to be and how to get creative and then put it on a billboard and or in a magazine, perhaps, and, you know, it'd be more difficult to track. Um, whereas nowadays, we use technology that's, you know, through through Google, through Facebook, things that we've talked about. And we can really understand campaign management, we can change things on the fly. And, you know, we are constantly working on the data and analytical and, you know, technology side refining campaigns as they as as they move. Um, and, and then we're focusing on how to be creative. And I just wanted to know, like, do you think that the pendulum has swung from one side to the other and, and where, you know, left brain people are more important now than, than right brain people, or is it a 50, 50 thing or talk a little bit about creativity versus, um, you know, the more kind of analytical side uh, within, you know, marketing and in general within your agency and such. Well, you know, I think that, I'm trying to think about whether I think one is more important than the other. I mean, I think they are like, I guess my initial instinct would say they're both very important um, because the creative side and the strategy side, which I personally love that part of it, um, it you know, it is what will make your campaign a success. So if you are really good at understanding how to write messaging, how to do ads that look good, that get, you know, that, that affect people and, and, and uh, they get the results you want. That's a very important aspect of the success of a campaign. Now the, the data side and the technical side is what tells you whether your hunch about what you think is good is actually working or not, you know, and, and, and it's nice to have that kind of that, that ability to be able to check what you think is working, which like you were saying, kind of like in the Mad Men days, you know, um, if you put an ad out, I mean, there were, they had ways of measuring things back then. Um, and I mean, of course there's still traditional advertising going on today, but like, if you had an ad in a magazine, it, you didn't necessarily know how many people are sitting and looking at that ad, right? Like, it's not like, it's not like a click, you know? Um, so it was a little bit more about kind of trying to understand the sales and how your sales would maybe increase be based on a campaign and that kind of thing. So I think they're both really important. I think that um, it is important to have that creative side to um, think outside the box, to develop campaigns that work for people. Um, but the technical side um, is also very important because at the end of the day, uh, you people want results, right? Um, it, we want to be able to see that the money that we're spending is giving us a good return on investment and that we're reaching the people we want to reach and that it's actually increasing your, you know, your sales and your business. Yeah, good point. And I think, um, you know, for a guy who likes to always try to think ahead and, you know, maybe in certain instances, I think too far ahead, but it's like when we talk about traditional advertising, I think that some of those forms of advertising still work in certain areas. Like I, a real estate agent does come to mind where, you know, it's, it's like, you're probably, really, really focusing your efforts on a geographic area. And the more that people might see you, you know, in, in the paper on a bus stop, et cetera, around town, they just feel like you're the person. And, and I think a lot of people who don't 
have a real estate agent, you know, who's their friend or their brother-in-law or sister-in-law or whatever, um, and they're looking for one, will think that that whoever is the top kind of local, reputable, well-known name will get them the most uh, the most money for their house. And so I and, and I've heard this from several of my friends that are realtors that some of those traditional forms still work. So not to to fully kind of discount the uh, the traditional forms of advertising, but obviously I'm I'm a big fan of of digital advertising. And I think that like, you know, as our, as time goes on, we look at those screen reports that get sent every week. And I think we all throw up in our mouths a little bit when we see them because uh, we're spending a lot of time on our, on our phones and staring at our phones. But, you know, if you deliver meaningful content to people, then, um, you know, I, I think that um, it can be time well spent in education. Yeah, and, and actually what's what's been interesting with traditional media, and we've tapped into this a little bit with, especially with more so with franchise recruitment marketing, where we're trying to sell franchises, um, that the traditional media is kind of crossing over to digital. So for example, um, you can create a, a, a news story um, that is a kind of an advertorial, that's sort of a paid news story that appears in print and like local newspapers. And then the papers actually are taking that news story and having it appear digitally as well. So maybe on Facebook channels and so on. So it's still, and this is a little more of a PR thing than kind of advertising. It's a kind of a combination of advertising and PR, but um, there's, there's definitely like the, we did a campaign for a client where we, we did some print um, articles that also appeared digitally and it was extremely successful. Part of that was because it's coming across as more of a news story. Um, and in there is a little bit of a sales pitch, but um, it still can work. And, and, and I think what's happening is that the traditional media world is there's still some opportunities to do that. And then they're also kind of crossing over into digital and use utilizing some of the strategies of, of traditional in digital as well. Hey, yeah. Something came to mind when you were mentioning this and I know we talked a little bit about, you know, I have, I have a very uh, successful email drip campaign on the franchise recruitment side that you guys did for me. And we, you know, I interviewed with a professional writer and he does a great job of creating the, the drip and telling the Stark story. And, um, so, but, but here's where I'm thinking, like, when we go back, I remember when we started Starks, it was like 2012, 2013, we were, we were just getting ready to open the store and we built out the system and we were thinking about sending emails to customers and, you know, we were trying to be really cognizant about not invading them with anything spammy. So it was like just the appointment confirmation and thanks for coming. And then obviously maybe like a follow-up to see how everything went, right? That, that whole feedback and, and review type of email, because back then everything was spam and it seemed like everything was trending away from email, but then there's like this arc, like it kind of did a U-turn and people aren't annoyed with email anymore because a lot of companies with the, you know, the, the evolution of technology and stuff have been able to embed a lot of cool things in the email, like a barcode that could be scanned for a coupon or, you know, uh, uh, different things. Right. And, and, and kind of what you're alluding to, too, as well, in terms of like, you know, something that is an interesting read, um, you know, a newsletter, some, some newsletters um, like, you know, on wall street about finance and stuff, people subscribe to um, and they get it, you know, every morning, um, to their phone and, you know, these companies are just taking off. So again, like it feels like email is, 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 is done a bit of a U-turn. I just want you to talk about that. Cause I know you guys are using it and you're having success with it. And now you're even recommending it a little bit more to clients. 
Um, you know, talk about talk about the, the evolution of email because you've been in the business for a long time. Yeah, yeah, we we've started to do some kind of email outreach campaigns for some of our clients. Um, and what we find is with email is, I mean, there is definitely an art to it. And there are a lot of things you need to know about email outreach that um, are, that, that is important in terms of being successful. So there's kind of two different things. I mean, what you were talking about in terms of email, like if you have a client base and you're reaching out to them to kind of keep in touch, share promotions, um, keep yourself top of mind. I think that is really, really valuable. And most people, if they really like a brand, want to hear from them. And, and it's, it is important to kind of stay in touch with people and, and, and people, if they don't, then they can unsubscribe. Right. So that's an important part of keeping, um, keeping your client base happy. Um, the other thing I was talking about was sort of outreach was more cold outreach. If you're kind of looking at, uh, using that as a way of, of getting sales, um, it can be really effective. It's kind of a combination of a numbers game and reaching out to enough people that there's some that are going to kind of act. It's also about um, making your messaging super relevant so they don't feel like they're being spammed. So they, they, the messaging and the content, um, it seems like it's been catered to them and you've reached out to them for a reason because maybe they have a background that matches this offer. Um, there's also some technical stuff in terms of um understanding how to do email outreach so that you're not uh, jeopardizing um, your your domain. You want to be careful, you know, to follow the, the rules and be compliant and so on. But yeah, like it, it can be really effective. I mean, I have actually purchased, I've, I have a couple of people that, that I work with um, that reached out to me via email and said the right thing at the right time when I was looking for something. And I kind of, you know, there's their content drew me in and then I contacted them and I ended up working with them. So yeah, it, it's, it, there's a bit of an art to it, but it can definitely be effective. Yeah. And it all comes back to like, if it's topical and if it's impactful and it kind of hooks you and, and then, you know, it, it makes sense and, or it's something that you were thinking about or you, you want to know more about, then it's going to be every bit as effective as, as something on social media or, or something that you just like went out and literally searched for on Google. So, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was interesting. Like I, I saw email going in one direction and then all of a sudden you could embed all this dynamic imagery and stuff into email. And, and actually that newsletter I was thinking it was called morning brew. Like I read one at one point they, they either IPO or they were acquired for hundreds of millions of dollars. And it was just a student um, who started writing a newsletter about finance um, mm. for people at the university. And, and then everybody around campus was asking him to subscribe to it. I think kind of similarly to what Mark Zuckerberg was doing when he started Facebook and people around the Harvard campus were like, Hey, I want, how do I sign up for that thing? And, and then, yeah, Morning Brew just turned into like something that, you know, people from all over the world subscribe to for like a very like targeted, concise morning brief about finance so you're just, you're seeing a lot with email. And I, I really thought a long time ago, it was like, okay, this is just going to get, you know, pushed out and extinct because there's so much spammy crap out there. But again, with the rules, there's less of that. And that's another important thing when you talk about compliance, right? It's, it's how you guys um, drive more value when you work with people is like, you understand, you know, what the rules are, what the compliance are, whether it's email, whether it's a social media site. You know how much stuff you can do you know same pro, great program to references linkedin outreach right you can't just go and connect with a million people every day 
Um, LinkedIn is, is going to catch you doing that and probably suspend or terminate your account. And there's lots of, lots of rules when it comes to Facebook and Instagram and uh, too, right? And Google, the algorithms are always changing. And so I, I just, yeah, I want people to understand that as creative as you can be and, you know, no one knows your brand better than you and stuff. But when it comes to delivering uh, a program, um, you know, hiring an expert is, is a smart way of doing it. Yeah, for sure. Actually, um, that's a really good point about understanding rules. I mean, we we sometimes are pulling our hair out because Facebook in particular has um, changed the rules and gotten really strict about a lot of things because they, you know, they were under fire about a lot of uh, issues with, you know, security and safety and privacy and so on. So as a result, they have tightened uh, rules on advertising and us advertisers have to kind of go figure out how to work with that. But it is an important thing to understand because you can do an, a campaign on Facebook. And if you don't understand some of the rules they have, they will reject your ads. Like they'll just be like, Nope, you reject it. And they, and if they think that you're trying to like get away with something and work like around their system and, you know, break their rules, they could even like close your accounts and not let you advertise. Like you really do need to know what you're doing because they're quite, they're serious about it. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things to understand about advertising and, and knowing, you know, how to, to create ads that comply with their rules um, and still get your results for sure. Yeah. And something like getting your account shut down is just the kiss of death type thing. And people need to be careful and you guys can consult with them on, the compliance stuff and it's a fluid environment as well. And so you're always up to date on that. Um, and, and that's really helpful for them. And, you know, Hey, I, this conversation could go on forever. It's just uh, a fun aspect of running a small business. And, you know, I know you guys have a ton of fun um, doing what you do. I think when people are thinking about buying a franchise, um, one of the things that excites them is, is, you know, building a brand in, in a community and getting creative and, you know, there's nothing more exciting than seeing some type of uh, marketing initiative come to life and seeing customers come in the door and knowing that you've generated that business. And then obviously pivoting over to working on like showing them a great product or service or experience or what have you and building their loyalty. But um, yeah, it's just, it's such a fun topic and, and we could probably go on forever. And I don't think this will be our last conversation uh, in the Starks Lounge, that's for sure, in terms of marketing. And there, there'll be more to cover. And as the landscape changes, we'll continue to um, uh, to, to, to revisit and uh, definitely we'll reconvene in the future and, and talk again. And for everybody out there, um, Juliet is is with Spark Tank Franchise Marketing, and they're actually located out in out west in uh, British Columbia. And the reason why uh, we chose to work with them after a really extensive and exhaustive search is because um, they actually give a lot of insight online. Um, with case studies and such, you know, real world examples, so to speak, of the type of work that they do and what they're capable of and, you know, how they can concentrate efforts um, and scale with like large companies and, and, and run huge campaigns, but how they can also, um, you know, start with you um, in a small and concentrated way and help you grow. Um, so, you know, that's, that's why we ended up choosing them. And, you know, how I like to run the business is basically, you know, form really strong partnerships with great people and uh, work with them over time. So Spark Tank's a great partner for Starks. Um, and I encourage everybody out there to uh, go online, check out their content. 
um, look them up if, if you're interested in um, learning more, you know, and, and again, you know, it's, it's not just uh, for in the franchise space. They just, they do a lot of small business marketing. Um, so check them out. And until our next chat about marketing, I, uh, again, had a lot of fun and thank you so much for, for being here today, Juliet. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you and I'm happy to come back anytime. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Starks Barbaco. 